Well, Romans chapter 14. We've been looking here last week. We saw food and how various people look at food. And what was the big issue of food? The last days. Remember, 1 Timothy chapter 4. It's going to become an issue again. And we who are believers need to stand firm knowing what God says about food. And uh, so we looked at that last week. And food will not help you gain spirituality. Uh, but some people offend, offended them in certain ways about food. And Paul says, if somebody's injured over my eating meat that was sacrificed to another idol, I'll never eat meat again. Dead want to stumble the brothers over these doubtful issues, disputeful issues. In other words, they're gray areas. It depends on how you look at them, whether it's sin to you or not. And in verse 4 again, so who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat. He gives God thanks. For no one, of us, no one of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And we're going to look more at those verses next week. But this week, I'd like to look at verse 5 and 6 on esteeming one day above another. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. You say, well, Brian, it seems like a pretty plain issue. Well, not necessarily. And I'm going to show you a couple of views tonight, and some of you are going to have to go home and pray over some verses. It's been quite clear in your mind, and I'm going to show you some verses that, that get you to think in a new way, possibly, about that Sabbath day. Now, as we go back, in the very beginning is when this Sabbath day was made. Look, if you would, over to Genesis Chapter, very end of chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Then God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. Important word there, chapter 2, verse 1. It was finished. On the seventh day, it, uh, the day of God ended. Another important word. Finished, verse 1. Verse 2 of chapter 2 of Genesis. Ended his work which he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had, there it is again, done. Finished, ended, rested, done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created, past tense, and made. Again, it's in the past tense. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So it's very emphatic here in the, in the Hebrew. Of course, the first law of thermodynamics is right here. The first law of thermodynamics is all that is, is, is here. There's no more new being created. Uh, energy changes. Matter can change into energy. 
Um, it, it can break down, but it cannot go away. Every molecule, according to the first law of thermodynamics, has always been here, will always stay here. It'll change form, but it's here. And this is the very thing God said. He finished making it. There would be no more made. Although uh, molecular ch structures change, they always remain. So gas burns up, but those molecules are still there. They've changed. They've gone to a lesser energy force because everything's winding down. But nevertheless, those molecules are there. Now, God rested. Now, some say, oh, Brian, that's a great principle. Uh, we see that in the Old Testament where God commanded the Jews to rest. But notice where it's mentioned. Look over in Exodus chapter 20, if you would. And notice there, these are the Ten Commandments. And these Ten Commandments are pretty solid, you know. You don't murder, you don't commit adultery, you don't steal, you don't lie. Um, don't use God's name in vain, don't worship other gods and so forth. And look at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your menservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, the seventh and the rest of the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it, made it holy, made it sanctified, made it set apart. Now you say, well, Brian, that, that's not a law that we necessarily need to keep anymore. And you say, well, what about the other ones? You see, God placed this worship, this seventh day within the understanding of God. You know, the number one law was there. You don't uh, worship other gods. Don't make any images. Don't use his name in vain. Um, and then the next one, again, is keep the Sabbath holy. And so you'd look at these other ones, and you're not ready to throw any of the other ones away. You're not ready to say, hey, we don't need that one anymore. Why would you throw the seventh day, Sabbath day away? Okay. So in the beginning, God created it. He's here told in his laws. You know, as you look in the teachings of Jesus, he'll say, well, Moses taught you. But he'll say, but the law of God says. And so um, there were things that Moses taught out of God's permissive will. Uh, he said you could divorce, and Jesus says it. Read Matthew 19 again. He says, well, Moses gave you permission that you could write a certificate, but in the beginning, it was not so. God gave Adam and Eve and said the two will become one flesh, period. So what God's joined together, let no man separate. So Jesus made a, a distinguishing point, <laughs> whatever, I'm making up new words here, um, but I got I speak in tongues like that. I always have to translate. So, so here comes the translation. He makes a distinguishing point between God's law, His perfect will, and His permissive will. But in the beginning, you see, God made the seventh day, and He rested. 
And then he comes and he says to the people, adding them in with one of the Ten Commandments, and he says, hey, this is an important commandment here. You need to keep it different, holy, sanctified. It's not to be like all the other days of the week. Now, you say, what's the point? You know, I'm not tired. Well, was God tired? Is that the reason he rested on the seventh day? No. Isaiah 40 says God never gets weary. He never gets tired. He never grows faint. Well, he couldn't create anymore. No, the Bible says God's infinite. There's never, there's no end to searching out his wisdom. God could have kept inventing animal after animal after animal after animal. He didn't stop because his creative juices had stopped flowing. He stopped because it was finished. It was done. It was completed. He had done all that was in his heart to do, and he stopped, and then he made one more day. So everything was done, you see, in the sixth day. But he made one more day, that seventh day. And in that seventh day, he said, this day I am creating still. What am I creating? Something you can see, something you can touch? No, I'm creating rest. I'm creating a day of rest. Now, this day is what? Holy to who? In and of itself. It's holy unto the Lord. You see, man was created at the end of the sixth day. God's last creation was man. At the end of the sixth day, he created man. So man's very first day of life was what? To rest in what? The finished work of Christ. Now, this day is important for a few reasons. Number one, it's important because it gives us a definition. What does it mean to rest? It means to cease from all work. Now let's look over to Hebrews, if you would, chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them. Why? Because it was not mixed with faith to those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundations of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter it because of disobedience or unbelief. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time, as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, in other words, the old that Exodus chapter 20 there, he had given them that rest, then he would not have afterwards... You see, later on spoke, 
having spoke of another day. So there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Now, what's he saying here? He said, first of all, Moses talked about a rest. He said, God rested, therefore you shall rest. And if they didn't rest, what happened? They'd be put to death. Remember the story later on? After God gave him this commandment, Achan went out there and, and he began to gather some sticks for a fire, just picking up a few branches for the fire. And what did they do? They commanded him to be stoned to death just for picking up a couple little pieces of sticks in the desert. Wow, they were pretty serious about this. And then remember that other story in Exodus chapter 16. There God said, okay, manna is going to start falling. Now, go out and get just enough for today. The first day, the people, it says they disobeyed God. They went out and gathered as much as they could, and so some didn't have enough. They were hungry, and others had too much. And the next day, what happened? It stank, and there was worms in it. And they said, oh, this stuff's okay to eat, but it only lasts one day. But God said, on the sixth day, gather twice as much. On the sixth day, I'm going to pour out twice as much as you need. Gather it and hang on to it to the next day. But these disobedient people who had gathered twice as much one time before and it stank the next day and had worms in it, on the sixth day they said, ah, there's a lot left over, but it won't be any good to, to keep it. And they came out on the seventh day and there wasn't any. And they freaked out going, ah, oh, we're going to starve to death, you know. And, and Moses comes out and says, you bunch of disobedient people. You're supposed to gather twice as much a day. Oh, we already tried that. It didn't work. No, it didn't work on the first day. It does work on the sixth day. Why? Because God said it works. God made it to work that way. Now, where does this play in? They didn't enter that rest. Why? Because they didn't have faith. They didn't mix it with faith. The seventh day, you see, only works when what? You mix faith with it. Now turn over to Colossians. And we see this definition of rest. We see the definition of the Sabbath day. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or new moon or, there it is, Sabbaths. Now, notice it's plural here because they had a lot of different Sabbaths, not just the seventh-day Sabbath rest. But they also had a seventh year. They were to rest an entire year, a seventh year. It was a tithe to the Lord. Every seventh year was to be a Sabbath year's rest. And there was other times also. But he said, notice here in verse 17, now this is the key, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is what? Of Christ. You see, Jesus was our Sabbath day's rest. Remember, he had how many sayings on the cross? Seven sayings on the cross. What was that seventh saying? It is finished. 
we go back to Genesis 2, remember? And God finished, he created everything, and it was finished. The first day of man was what? To rest in the finished work of God. Just to enjoy what God had completed for them. They did no work. They just received what God had created. In the same way, how are we saved? By resting in the finished work of Christ. You see, God did it for us. Look over if you would. Hold your finger in Colossians. We're going to come right back. But go over to Isaiah if you would. Chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26. In verse 12. And it says there, in verse 12, Lord, you will establish peace for us. That's the word shalom in the Hebrew, which is not just peace as in calmness, but it's healing, wholeness, completeness, fulfillment, totality. God is making you whole in spirit, soul, and body. He's giving you His entire self. You see, you're, you're at peace. You're, you're not just calm or ceasing from war, but you're at rest, spirit, soul, and body. God gives us that. Notice, for you have also done all our works. Whose works? All our works. How? In us. Remember, write these verses down if you don't know them. Many of you do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. We are saved by grace through faith. What? It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of what? Works. It's not of works. Lest any man should boast. And then Romans chapter 4. Remember there. Blessed is the man who what? Does not work. Verse 5. Blessed is the man who does not work, but believes in a God who justifies the ungodly without our works, by faith, you see. So there comes that faith, that trust, that I believe, God, that you have finished it. I believe that you have completed it. Now, if we try to add to our salvation... If we try to say, well, I believe in the Lord and I think I also need to be a good person. I believe in the Lord and I think I also need to make sure that I'm, you know, doing the right thing so I'm saved. If you're doing that for salvation, then you're not really in faith, are you? You're not really trusting. If you really believe it, it's a done deal. There's certain people you can believe, you can trust, right? If some guy says, hey... I'll pick up the Cokes for you for the party tonight. That's it. It's a done deal. Whew. Got that off my heart. Got that off my mind. Don't even have to think about it. But there's other people who say, I'll get the Coke for you. And you're like going 50-50 chance. You know? And so you, you call them the next day and you say, uh, remember you said you were going to get the Cokes? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally forgot. I'll, I'll get them. Don't worry. All right. I'm trying not to, but... And so now it's about a 70% chance they'll bring it, you know, because you called and reminded them. And, and right before they get off work, you know, you dial something in their pager, you know, some weird number, 11111 or whatever. It's like, what would they do? Oh, 
Cokes, that's right. Yeah, okay, now. I, and so, but there's still about an 80% chance they'll bring it. They'll show up going, Coke, oh, I'll be right back. All right, okay, see you later. And, uh, but see, when you have trust, when you really have total faith, they will do it. And there's just a rest. There's a peace. There's just, I know that person. They're, they're going to, you know, outside of getting in a wreck and, or something, they're going to be here. But when you have that rest, that trust, that peace of just, oh, it's done. It's by faith in what? His grace. He said that he would forgive us as a free gift. How? Through the cross of Christ, through him being our substitute lamb. He experienced the torment of hell for us. By his blood, my sins can now continually be washed away. I believe it. And so, and I stand before God. What gives you the right to be in heaven? Jesus. Well, what did you do for him? It's not the point. He already did it all for me. You see, the thief on the cross, there were two thieves, right? The one thief, they were both mocking him. They were both making fun of him. So we see the hardness of his heart. A man going to death, you think, would be sober like, oh, I'm going to die. Not these guys. They just had so much evil. They were spitting in the face of death. And they were mocking the Lord along with the people that were getting ready to crucify them. That's how hardened these guys were. But one of them on the cross said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. His hands were tied. What good works could he do? His feet were tied. What good works are you going to do? He was living but a few minutes more and then he was going to die. The man never did anything with his feet, with his hands, nothing. He could do no works, but yet he is going to be in the same heaven as you and I. Why? By faith in what? The work of Christ. And so we are saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's not of works. It's a gift of God. Now, like Adam and Eve, just enjoy the finished work of the Lord. So now we just enjoy by faith the finished work of of Christ. And so Christ is the substance, the shadow, you see. It was the shadow of the things to come. The finished work of creation was just a type of the finished work of salvation that was to come. So when God saw them in the garden, did he already know man was going to sin? Of course, he knows the end from the beginning. He knew that man was going to sin. And that's why it says in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, that Christ was crucified before the foundations of the world. You see, God already knew. It wasn't a last-ditch effort. The Lord's going, oh no, they, they sinned. What am I going to do now? Yeah, that, not so, that's not what went on. God knows the end from the beginning. So God had already said, I'm going to come. And they can trust in me. They can rest in me. That's why it says in Hebrews chapter 4, they didn't enter the rest. Why? Because they never had faith. Remember now, the manna is coming down. Who is the manna? John chapter 6. The manna is Christ, right? They said, well, Moses gave us manna. And Jesus got upset and said, my father gave you that manna. And that manna was a bread they ate and died, but now the Father's given the true manna. In other words, that manna was just a type. That manna was just a symbol of the true and living bread. He says, for I am the true bread that's been given from heaven. He who eats of me shall never die, you see. I'm the true manna. 
Now, how were they to take that manna each and every day? Just like we're to eat the Word of God up every single day. Well, I studied extra yesterday. <laughs> it's not going to carry you over for today. But more than that, that seventh day, what were they to do? Rest. That God had given enough manna for them as well. Christ was our substitute. His cross was the finished work. It is sufficient for our salvation. Now we're in the rest. We're to continue in the rest. We're going to live in the rest. And what does it say in Hebrews 11? Let us therefore work hard, be diligent to enter that rest, lest any should fall according to the same example of disobedience. They couldn't trust in the Lord. So, going back to Colossians chapter 2. So, these things was a shadow, you think, you see, of the things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and the worship of angels, intruding those things which are not seen, vainly puffed up by their fleshly mind. Verse 19, not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows in the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with their use and according to commandments and the doctrines of men. Listen to this. According to the commandments and the doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. What did they do with the Old Testament law, the Pharisees? They rewrote it. They rewrote it into the Mishnah and the Targums and, the, and finally the Talmud. There was one law, keep the Sabbath holy. What did they do? They wrote 1,500 pages on how to keep the Sabbath holy. 1,500 pages. How far you could walk from your house. So what did the Pharisees do? The day before, they would get a rope and they would walk with this giant rope from house to house to house to house to house to house to house, to house all, all over the place. And they said, the border of my house is the rope. And so they would have blocks, they would say was their house. <laughs> and then they could walk around in their house. It doesn't make sense, but that's what they would do. They, they would say that it's unlawful to help a person on the Sabbath. You can't help them. If somebody fell and cut an artery or was bleeding, all you could do is just stop it from bleeding anymore. But you couldn't completely stop the bleeding because you're helping them. And therefore, you're working on the Sabbath. This is their teaching. However, if your animal hurt itself, you could work and, and heal your animal, but not a person. It was just ridiculous stuff. And so, if you look at the teachings of Jesus, they accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. But he never broke the Sabbath because all it says is rest. Now, let's look at some of those things on the teachings of Christ on the Sabbath. We're going to make some, end up with a really neat point here tonight. Turn, if you would, over to Matthew chapter 12. 
there's a lot of teachings on the way. We're not going to look at all of them by any means. And there in chapter 12, verse 1, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and His disciples were hungry and began to pluck the heads of the grain to eat. Now the law explicitly says you could get some food, you could grab an apple off a tree, and you could eat it on the Sabbath day. You couldn't take a basket of apples and, give, and take them in the house and give them to people. But what they're saying here is that they were preparing the food. The, in the Mishnah, it said that you couldn't take a grain because in order to eat the grain, you had to get the outer shell off it. To get the outer shell off it, you sort of rub it in your hands and back and forth and you heat it up and, and the outer shell falls off and then you eat the inside of the grain. So what are they doing? Rub it in their hands. According to the Jews, they were cooking it. So you can't cook on the Sabbath. So now, here, here they are cooking this grain. They're, they're getting the outer... So you're working, you see. That was their law. That was their tradition. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Jesus, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath, according to their own law. And he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. So he's just playing with their heads here. Remember, David went in when he was fleeing from Saul, and he said, hey, give me some food. And he said, all that's left is the showbread. At the end of the, every day, the priest, they had a table up in front of the temple, and it was this big square thing of bread they would plop in there. And so through the day, the priest would eat the bread, and then the next day, they'd bring in a new a uh, big giant loaf of bread, and they would eat on it again. And so uh, it would just fill, it would just had a little lip on the table. Um, trying to remember how big it was. I think it was like four feet by two feet or three feet. And, and they would plop it in there right inside it exactly. They would make it so it just fit right in. And he goes, we can give you the rest of that. And so they took that bread that was only to be for the priest. And, uh, of course, God didn't have any problem with that because when you have two... When you have two um, absolutes collide, what do you do? You take the greater absolute. Okay. So the Bible says don't lie, but the Bible also tells us to protect and to help, right? So if you have a Jew in your house, you're protecting them from the Nazis, and they come knocking on your door saying, do you have any Jews? Are you hiding any Jews here? And you lie, although the Bible says not to lie. Did you sin? No, you didn't, because you protected a lie. Because since you protected a life, therefore your lie is not construed as a lie. You can read back in Exodus chapter 1 where Pharaoh told the midwives to kill the Hebrew babies. And he called them in saying, why are these baby boys still alive? And they lied. They said, oh, well, they they're strong. These Hebrew women are strong and they delivered the baby before we can get there. And it says God blessed them and gave them houses. So God blessed these midwives, you see. And so again... Here, David was in an absolute. The bread that was only for the priest or the fact that he was fleeing for his life. And this guy was trying to help him get away. Uh, and so God protected and didn't punish David because the greater absolute of a life is greater than the law. And in verse 5, Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Now this is an interesting point. He says every single Sabbath, the priest, what do they do? They work their tails off. 
What do they do? They do the sacrifices. Now, if you go back in the Old Testament, you will not find God telling them to worship on the Sabbath. You will not find God telling them to do a sacrifice on the Sabbath. The only thing you'll find God saying is rest and keep it holy. So what did they say? Oh, well, if that's the holy day, then that's the day of worship. Now, this is a very important point. Because worship, a, a time of worship, and a holy day, God never said they were the same. They connected those points themselves. Now, did God get upset over the point? No, he didn't. He never made an issue of it. But now, God is. He's saying, well, if you want to get technical... You look at those priests out there as they're slitting the throats of the animals and hoisting them up and then skinning them and, and cutting them into fillets and then eating some of it and sacrificing some of it. That's work, man. They profane the Sabbath. There's, they're not resting on that day, that particular seventh day. They're not resting on it. But did God ever make a point of it? He never, he never judged them. He never made a point of it. Why? I'll tell you in just a minute. Verse 6. Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have condemned, not condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In other words, who has the true definition? The one who gave it, right? I mean, God made the Sabbath. Since God made it, He would be the one, He would be the authority on it, right? And so they're telling God, <laughs> they're telling Jesus, hey, they're not doing what God says. And they're talking to God. <laughs> it's like telling the guy who invented baseball how baseball is supposed to be run. And so here he is telling him, hey, that's not, that's not true. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one who has the say. But if you had known what this means, and he goes on, verse 9. Now, when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him? Now, according to their law, they could not heal on the Sabbath. Like I said, they could only help. Now, why was this? Here was their reasoning. We are born sinners. And so sinning is not work for us, right? It, it comes very natural. It's actually, it's, it doesn't, we don't break a sweat sinning. It's just something that we just do like an involuntary muscle. This is, this is their, their reasoning. But to not sin, that takes work. Therefore, if you are not sinning or you're helping, you're trying to bless, you're trying to do some good work, that takes work. And so Jesus in, in his actually points out later on that if you sinned, you wouldn't be breaking the Sabbath. <laughs> but if you did good, you're breaking the Sabbath. And so here he's basically saying, yeah, is it lawful to do good? And, and, and he actually says that in, in one of the parables, or in one of the situations, is it lawful to do good? And it wasn't. It wasn't lawful to do good. And so here he uses the word hill, and he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath? He will not lay hold of it and lift it up, which was okay to do. You could take the sheep out of the pit, but if a man fell in the pit, you couldn't take the man out of the pit. That's according to their law. 
of how much more value then is a man than a sheep. Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So he turns around and he says, no, even though it takes work, it's still okay to do work, that kind of work, if it's good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and it was restored as whole as the other. And the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Why? Because he healed a man. Look at it. Think how warped they are. They just saw a miracle and they couldn't rejoice in it. They couldn't rejoice in a miracle because they were so busy with the legalism of their concept of the law. Turn over to Mark chapter 2 if you would. There in verse 23. Hang on, hang on with me. I'm going to make my point at the very end as we look after we look at these passages. In Mark chapter 2, verse 23. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of the grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you not read... What David did when he was in need and hungry, and he and those with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar the high priest and ate the showbread, and is not lawful to eat except for the priest, also and gave some to those who were with him. And in verse 27, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now turn over to John chapter 5, if you would, verse 16. John chapter 5, verse 16. It says, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. In chapter 7 of John, John chapter 7, verse 19. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The people answered and said, You have a demon who is seeking to kill you. And Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man, look, on the Sabbath. If a man receives a circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to the appearance, but judge with a righteous judgment. Now, here's the point. You had two laws. One was on the eighth day, the child had to be circumcised. But you had the other law, on the seventh day, you had to rest. So, if a baby's eighth day fell on the Sabbath, what did they do? The work of circumcision. And so he's pointing out to them here, hold it. Number one, the priests defile the Sabbath day. I mean, talking about work, that's their hardest day of work. But yet, God's not condemned them. You circumcise on the Sabbath. That's work, according to their own definition. But yet, 
they don't condemn themselves over it. Of course, God never said anything because he saw the two would go together. He never said that circumcision was something that wouldn't, couldn't be done, something like that on the Sabbath. But now he's, he's saying within the laws themselves have to be another definition for Sabbath. Their definition for Sabbath was this. That's the day we worship. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that's the day to rest. Now, what was the real reason for the Sabbath day? The ultimate reason. It was to point us to Christ and to point to us how we have to believe by faith and faith alone that we're saved as a gift of God. Now, is that all that the Sabbath is to mean to us? No. Why? Because we see it in Exodus chapter 20. We see it in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. God created it like the rest of creation. And what did Jesus say there in Mark chapter 2? The Sabbath was made for what? For man. And we've got to be careful. Now he also says, not man was made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. And so indeed it was made for man. Go back to Genesis, and indeed it was made for man. So, one more verse in Revelation 1.10. It says there, I was in the Spirit, John speaking, on when? On the Lord's day. Now, what would be the Lord's day? Many say that is the first day of the week, the day of resurrection. You say, well, what Bible verses do you have? There's actually a couple. One in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says, now on the first day of the week, which would be Sunday, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. So on the first day of the week, when they got together to break bread, to have communion, you see, Paul preached. So there we have in the book of Acts, chapter 20, where they met on Sunday to preach. Also, 1 Corinthians, chapter 16, verse 2. It says, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something, storing up as many as prospers them, that there uh, may be no collection when I come. So he says on the first day when you get together, bring the finances in, bring your offerings in then. They were collecting an offering for the Jewish believers who were persecuted in Jerusalem. He says, do it when you get together on the first day of the week. So when I come, there's not an embarrassment there. Now, Seventh-day Adventists, they believe that's like the law of laws. It's the number one law, keep the Sabbath holy. But what do they say? If you don't worship on that day, that's a sign of the mark of the beast. When the end times come, yeah, that's a sign that the mark of the beast is not 666, it's worshiping on Sunday, according to the Seventh-day Adventists. But what's the point? The point is, is that that's the day to worship. No, it's not. John had a definite day, the Lord's day. He didn't say the Sabbath day. He said on the Lord's day. Now, in Romans, Paul says, hey, some people see every day of, as alike. And other people see um, one day in particular as a special day. John saw one particular day that was the Lord's day. Interesting enough. 
The believers in Acts 20 and 1 Corinthians 16, they came together that first day of the week. Now, what the Seventh-day Adventists say, well, Constantine, that pagan ruler who really didn't become a Christian, he he's the one because they worshipped, you see, on Sunday, they worshipped the sun god, and, and, and he just made it the day of worship because it was already the pagans were doing it, so he just made it the Christian thing to do. That's not true. Constantine and... and the year 312 to 314 said that. But way before that, early church father Tertullian in 150 AD said Sunday should be the only day that Christians worship on. I don't agree with that either. But I do see here something very important. As you read through the Old Testament, they're not laws, as we saw in Colossians 2, to make you more spiritual necessarily. As he says there, it's self-imposed religion. That's a false humility that you think will help you overcome the flesh. It won't. But there seems to be something special about Saturday, that seventh day, which was, again, the evening to the morning, remember? Remember when Jesus was on the cross, what happened? It got dark, <laughs> and it stayed dark. There was the evening. When did he raise again? On the morning, that first day of the week. There is something that the Lord, you see, I, I believe is, is speaking concerning that, that Sabbath day rest. Now, one man seems every day alike. Paul saw every day as a day to worship, and so we should. But I also believe there's another day of rest that God has commanded before the at the foundations of the world that there's that seventh day that we should rest. Now, does that mean we have to do it on that seventh day? Not necessarily. But there is a day from sundown, the evening, until the evening of the next day, that full day, you see, that would be a day of rest. And science proves it out that when man takes a full day just to relax. Now, is worship relaxing? No, it's not. It takes a lot of work, as Jesus pointed out. You guys profane the Sabbath. If that's your idea of rest, <laughs> man, you, you need to relook at the definition of rest. Rest, you see, is when you just stop doing your regular routine and you take on something totally different. But we often see that seventh day as a day to make a little more money. That seventh day is another day to get that housework done we didn't get done throughout the week. It's that day to get the yard work done that we didn't get done. And what happens on that seventh day? It ends up becoming what the sixth day should be, where we double up and do more work than we ever have done. And then what happens on that first day of the week? I believe the Lord's Day. When we should come now with the first of our energies as a sacrifice unto God, as worship unto Him. We come all wore out and tired out from the day before. So did God rest because He was tired? No. Did God rest because He didn't have to? Are you resting because you're tired? No. Are you resting because you just need a chance to Get the creative juices going again? No. You could keep creating. You could keep working. Why is it? It is indeed a day of worship. The seventh day is a day to keep holy and to worship. But how? By getting together and going to church? No. By just resting. One last passage, and we'll stop here tonight. Over in um, Isaiah chapter 30. 
Isaiah chapter 30. The children of Israel... The children of Israel were afraid of the Assyrians, and the rich ones were wanting to run down to Egypt for protection. And in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 1, he says, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel, but not of me, who devise plans, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who walk to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Verse 15. Isaiah 30, verse 15. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. How? In returning and rest you shall be saved. In the quietness and confidence shall be your strength, but you would not. Skip down to verse 21. He says, if, oh, excuse me, I, I missed a verse there. Um, in verse 18, Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you, therefore he will be exalted, that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Verse 21, then your ears shall hear the word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to right, to the right, or whenever you turn to the left. Why do we need to take a day just to stop and to be still and to be quiet? That God could strengthen us. That we could reflect, to be refreshed, to be renewed, and to just be still and know that He is God. You see, if Friday sundown, or whatever day you choose, on that sundown, if you say, we're going to get all the work done before then, and we're just going to stop. Every day we worship. And we're just not going to do any work. And then the kids say, well, why don't we fix a big meal tonight? Well, we fixed the meal the night before. We're just going to eat whatever we already fixed. Well, why are, why are we just hanging out on Saturday? Or whatever day you choose. Why, why are we not you know, getting the housework done? The house is a little bit messy. We ought to finish cleaning up. No, we're just going to let it set. We're not going to do it. Well, why is that? Because, you see, the Lord made a day where he ceased from his labors. He made the Sabbath for man. He made it for us to rest. He made it for us to be together. And if families would just take a day, imagine how healing that would be for the family. Just to spend the day together. They did a poll and they asked the kids, would you rather have quality time or quantity time with your parents? 70% of the kids said quantity of time. If I had to say quality or quantity, I'd say quantity. But if that was a day sacred and set apart, imagine how healing that would be to you. How healing that would be to your family. Just to say, yeah, oh, I can't wait. Friday, all right, it's here. Friday, you kids would be excited, you see. We're just going to hang out. We're just going to be together. What's the big plan? No big plans. 
Well, what are we going to do tomorrow? We, that's, we can't do that. We're just hanging out. We'll get up in the morning. We'll decide then. We're just going to veg. We're just going to take it easy. We'll decide. And so they get that in their concept. And that day, you see, becomes truly a really a sacred day. Adam and Eve just running around, enjoying all that God had done, you see. In the same way, we're just enjoying creation. We're enjoying the rest that God has given us. Now the world says, no, 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 got to get a lot done. We've got we to make that day a big day, you know. We've got to get a lot done, and I could work an extra day, and if I get a part-time job on Saturday, you see, I could make that much more money. Well, you go, there was another Sabbath day. The Sabbath year, every seventh year, was to be a year of rest. And God said, trust in me. Trust in me in that year. That's the year that the poor, they can go and they can harvest. Whatever's left over, let the beast eat it. But that's the year that you guys just take a vacation. But you see, that would have taken faith. One, that God would provide for them even though they weren't working. And not only that, but at the end of that year, they weren't going to be rich. <laughs> they were going to be down to not have much money. They wouldn't have much sustenance. But see, that was okay. Because that's not the point of living on earth. How much can I acquire before I die? But to enjoy. But in that, 70, in that 490 years, they never gave up one time. They never had the faith. They never had the faith to trust God for that year. And so what ended up happening? God said, I'm kicking you out of the land and I'm going to take my 70 years. And the land's going to go fallow for 70 years. It's just, you're out of it. And in 70 years, you can come back. How many people would be healthier if they took a day just to let their blood vessels quit pumping so fast and their brain to quit working so hard and, and to and just stop. Now you would think, as you're reading those Ten Commandments, you go, God's told us to be lazy for a day. Whoa, I love the Word! <laughs> this is great, this is great. I love this Bible stuff. But man in his fallen condition, man in his fallen condition says, I'm not going to take a day off. I don't have to, you see. You, you would think, we would just love that law. You know, you just... Somebody to tell you to be lazy for a day. You just, boy, you eat that. But we don't. Why? Because we're in sin. We're in sinful condition. The world around us, they got to work. They got to work frantically. They got to keep up. But see, God gives to us even in our rest. We trust in the Lord. God adds unto us. We don't have to work and work and work and work and try and try. God will give unto you if you'll trust in Him. So think about it. God established it in Genesis chapter 1. He commanded it as one of the Ten Commandments. The ultimate fulfillment was definitely Christ, and that's what it was pointing us to. Did Jesus keep the Sabbath? Absolutely. Jesus kept it. Now, a particular day of worship, John says, on the, on the Lord's day, I set a day aside to worship. I think we need a day of rest. I think we need a day of worship. I think we need just a whole day of just worshiping the Lord. I'm, I'm going to trust in Him. Just to worship Him all day long. Just to be there to teach the Word to the kids. To be there to hear the Word. To be there at the prayer meetings to pray to Him. 
to hear the Word of God taught in the morning, to hear God taught the Word of God taught there in the evening, to hear the Word of God, just to grow in the Word. And then, my first day of week, see, I've rested. I've now put the first of my energies into worship. And now, on my second day of the week, Monday, now I can go and work and work hard, do what I need to do from the sweat of my brow because sin came into this world, but then again, to have the rest, to have the worship, and then to have the work. It seems to make sense. And that's, I believe, the way God set it up. Sin came into the world. Now they said to Jesus, well, you're working on the Sabbath. He wasn't. He did not break any of the Old Testament laws. But he did say, hey, my father works until now. I also work. So some might say, well, we're in a sinful world, Brian. We've got to keep working until the Lord comes back. Well, now we're at Romans chapter 14. Fine. If you don't observe the day, then don't observe it. Do it unto the Lord, you don't observe it. But if you do observe the day, then unto the Lord observe it. I told you what I believe was God's perfect design. You're not right with God? If you have a Saturday, you got that second job? No. I'm not saying you're not you're not in the in I'm not saying you're not right with God if you do that. But I'm saying you probably won't be as healthy. You probably won't be as happy. And all that extra money, you won't find it. It won't be there. And you'll be tireder and you won't grow in the Lord as fast because you're not hearing the word preached as much. And when you do hear it, you're exhausted and you're tired and you're trying to stay awake. See, I, I just think there's a trust where it's like, I got my job and I'm just going to ask God to multiply it and take care of it. And God will. You see, God will, if you add God into the equation, God will bless you. God will keep your car running instead of breaking down. God will keep your clothes from wearing out. God will keep your shoes from wearing out. God will keep you healthy. God will make your teeth straight. <laughs> God, will, God can do anything. But again, if we take it all on ourselves, you see, we take it all on ourselves. I've, you know, the Lord will bless those who bless themselves, you know. The Lord will help those who help themselves. God, no. The Bible says and. Psalms 127, unless the Lord watches the city, we, the, the watchman watches in vain. And we're not to stay up late working, getting up early to start working again. Why? Because God blesses his beloved even in their sleep or in their rest. God will bless us, you see, if we trust in him. Should we work hard? Absolutely. We should have the hardest work ethic of anybody. Why? Because we have a whole day of rest coming. We have something to look forward to. And then after that, we got a whole day to worship. But you see, if life's just continually a day of work, I don't, I don't think we're going to be renewed. I don't think we're going to be renewed in heart and in mind and in spirit. And I don't think God's going to be able to speak to us, say, turn to the right, turn to the left. We're not going to hear it. We're not going to be at that place to be still. And in quietness is our confidence and our strength. To trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we look to your word here tonight and God, we ask as we would think about these verses and look at them again and meditate on them that you would speak to us. As I looked into this, Lord, it just seems very clear that you made Sabbath day for man. Not to worship. That's a lot of work, but just to rest, to be with our family, to kick back, to just lay around the house, sleep in and Lord, help us. And Lord, also give us faith for that day of worship. 
So many, Lord, have limited you to just say, Sunday morning, that's it. So many are thinking, man, an hour on Sunday morning, when they could teach, and they could usher, and they could help park, and they could worship, and they could hear the Word, and, and how they could just make a day, all day, of just in the Word, in prayer, in fellowship, with the family, worshiping, resting in worship. Lord, let us truly put you first in all things. And Lord, we just ask now, as one day is special to another person, another day, every day is alike. Lord, let us truly be worshipers all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But let us take a look, Lord, and see if you've given to us, as you did to Apostle John, a Lord's Day. Speak to us now about yourself, most of all, that you truly are our rest, that the shadow was you, the substance is you, and we thank you for that. And let every one of us here not work for our salvation, but just to rest in the salvation that you've given us by faith. So everybody's head bowed. If you're here tonight and you've never just rested in salvation, you've never just said, I trust God. He died for me and rose again. I believe it by faith. That's it. Just like the thief on the cross, Lord, forgive me. And I ask for the gift of eternal life. Thank you. Just for giving it by a free gift. The Bible says, if you believe that Jesus is God, and that the Lord has raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. Do you believe right now that Jesus is Lord? Do you believe that God has raised him from the dead? Then just rest right now. Thank you, Lord, for salvation. I believe in you. I receive it. And now, Lord, help me to follow you as you called me to follow you after becoming a believer that I'm your child and now just begin following you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, bless all those who have heard your word tonight. Amen. God bless you all.